Welcome to the Live Inspired Podcast with John O'Leary. John is the number one national best-selling author of the book On Fire. He's a world-class inspirational speaker, and he's the host of the Live Inspired Podcast. John interviews extraordinary individuals on their life story so that you can wake up from accidental living and more fully live your life story. Here's your host, John O'Leary. My friends, I want to take a quick moment to give you a special invitation. If you enjoy the Live Inspired podcast, what would you say to joining me live once a month? And not just joining me, but hundreds of other like-minded Live Inspired community members. And what if you could do it from the comfort of your own home? My friends, Live Inspired in Studio with John O'Leary is exactly this, a gathering of our Live Inspired community members once a month for a live inspirational webcast. Let's do life together. Registration for in-studio only happens twice a year. And here's a secret, it's opening soon. Don't miss it. Sign up right now. Be one of the very first to know when Live Inspired in-studio registration opens. You can go right now, check it out. It's at johnolearyinspires.com forward slash studio. One more time, it's johnolearyinspires.com forward slash studio. Well, hello, my friends. This is John O'Leary. So happy to have you here joining me in the Live Inspired Movement. You know, as we move toward more than 100 recorded episodes, that's crazy talk, right? There are more than 100 recorded episodes shared now more than a million times with audiences not only around the United States, but quite literally around the world. We wanted to do something a bit different today, a a bit of a surprise, something that maybe you weren't expecting I had the opportunity and the great fortune this past week of looking around my life and seeing something that I maybe too frequently take for granted, and it's my own family. My mom and dad are celebrating their 50th anniversary. It's the 50 years together through the ups and downs of life, through the ups and downs of dating and marriage and children. You can imagine all the ups and downs that come with that. But they also had six children, six children who are now adult children who shockingly like each other. Like not only kind of like each other, my brother, Jim, my sisters, Katie, Amy, Susan, Laura, and I respect, we care for, we love each other. And so I wanted to spend this podcast unpacking that that sense of love we have for one another And one of the stories that drew us together, that connects us still, that I think binds us together today, tomorrow, and going forward. And I wanted to close this episode by giving you three things we do that I think if you chose to do it, you might have an even better relationship, not only with your adult siblings, but with your spouse, with coworkers, with community leaders that you serve, work, and do life with. It's going to be an awesome, emotional, beautiful podcast. You may want to buckle up because I'm going to share an incredibly inspiring story that I very seldom share with live audiences. I've discovered it's almost too much. When, when I when I share the story that you're going to hear today, it's so overwhelming that they need time to unpack it afterwards. It's very hard to go from John sharing this story into uh, Ralph sharing about you know risks and benefits of of signing up for the life insurance policy at the organization. So today I want to give you that time to unpack this story, to hit pause at the very end, and then to put it into play in your own lives. So my friends, buckle up, open up your hearts, your minds, your journals, 
and get ready for the ride of a lifetime as I share a little bit more about my own story with you today. Well, have you ever done anything looking back at your own life that you now realize was a big mistake? Okay, Every hand right now listening to this voice should have popped up immediately because we are a broken lot. We make mistakes all the time. I make mistakes still frequently today as a business owner, as a leader, as a dad, as a husband, as a son, as a friend in the community, as a as a follower, as a believer. I make mistakes all the time. I don't think we are called really toward perfection. Maybe that's what we're called toward, but we're not called to live it right now. We're called instead to learn from the many mistakes we make and then do life better afterwards. Well, when I was a kid, I grew up in St. Louis, Missouri, I am the son of Susan and Denny. They were phenomenal. They are phenomenal parents. And I had six siblings. At age nine, I saw boys in my neighborhood playing with fire and gasoline. What these little guys would do is they would sprinkle some gasoline on a sidewalk. They would strike a match. They would stand back maybe two feet or so for safety, right? A a very risk-averse lot these kids were. And I remember as a nine-year-old looking up at these big, old, tough kids thinking, if these guys can do it and get away with it, a Live Inspire community, what's the next sentence? Go ahead and yell it out. Yell it at your radio right now. So can I. If she can do it and get away with it, or he can do it, or they can do it, or he can tweet that and get away with it, so can I. It's important to recognize that we are not only like this when we are children. We still follow the leader. It's important for two reasons. Number one, be aware of whose voice you are following today. I think it's why podcasts like this one are valuable. They are worthy. It's a positive message about life, not not losing it, but gaining it. Who we listen to matters. But it's also important to recognize that people are watching us. Your coworkers are watching the way you show up. The lady or gentleman in line behind you in the grocery store watches the way you treat the person in front of you. Give them an example then that is worthy, that leads someone up and onward into the possibility of their life, not off some cliff edge. Well, that weekend with my father at work and my mother out with two of my sisters, the house was mine. I walked into the garage. I bent over a can of gasoline. It's monkey see, monkey do in life as kids and as adults. As I bent down over the can of gasoline, right now I would imagine our our lady listeners are thinking, what? is wrong with this guy? What is wrong with this man? And all the brothers listening in right now around the US and around the world are thinking, oh my gosh, I wonder. I wonder if he put the GI Joe guys in first or second. How did this little boy do his experiment? experiment? Because they're thinking back to the time in their own life when they ran a similar one in their garage or alleyway or farm or bathroom or with ants or hairspray or who knows what, what else but little boys are crazy. I'm over the can. Monkey see, monkey do. I try to pour a little bit of gasoline on top of the flame. Before the liquid comes out, live inspired community. This is key. This is huge. Before the liquid came out, what came out first? Right, The fumes, the vapor, the invisible stuff in leadership and with our health and with our finances and in society and at work, it's very seldom what we see coming. In other words, the liquid that burns us. It's almost always fumes. It's almost always vapor. It's almost always the stuff we're too busy or too busy screaming about to identify as being valuable. It's why I think slowing down in life intentionally, 
listening to worthy content, unplugging from the busyness to focus on the relevant is so vital, so valuable. Well, the fumes rushed out of that container. I never smelled them, saw them, never sensed it was coming. And in life, this is frequently what comes our way, the fumes. That day, the fumes came out of the can, created a massive explosion, split the can in two, picked me up, and launched me 20 feet against the far side of the garage. When we were little, we were taught and trained what to do when we're on fire. Community, what are we supposed to do? Live inspired friends, what are we supposed to do when we're on fire? That's right, baby. You stop, drop, and roll. Easy, easy said. But what do you actually do when you're on fire? No, yeah, that's the wrong answer, but you're right actually in saying so. You run because you panic. We train to our heads, but we lead and we serve. I think we sell and we buy from a much more sacred source. Yes, we need content upstairs. We need our heads on board. But if it's not connected down to our hearts, in some regards, we've wasted our time. The, the point of my podcast, the point of my writing, the book on fire, the point of my speaking, communities all around the country, all around the world, the reason I do what I do is to make sure that you are able and equipped to move from your head, there's plenty of training already going on, to your hearts, that the two become one, that we live undivided lives, that we are equipped to do the next best things to propel ourselves forward. But that day for me as a nine-year-old, man, I panicked, I freaked out, I ran for my life, came out of the flames on fire, back into my mom and dad's kitchen. I ran, remember they're gone, through the kitchen, through the family room, all the way into the front of the house. I very seldom tell this story, so buckle up for it, here we go. I stood on top of a rug with flames leaping three feet off of my body, burning, I am screaming and begging and praying for a hero. I remember saying, you know, God, I need a hero. I can't do this by myself. And that's when I saw my 17-year-old brother racing toward me. Um, how many of you, by show of heads, had an older brother or sister growing up? Okay, the, the majority of us, good, I'm glad. Were they always nice to you? Okay, good. The, for the majority of us, no. The answer is no. They were not usually nice to us. Frequently, they were rude and mean to us. They're, they're, uh, the great theologian, George Burns, the great comedian, I think he lived 101 years, wrote, happiness is having a large, loving, caring, close-knit family in another city. I'm going to say that one again because it's awesome and I think it plays true. Happiness is having a large, loving, caring, close-knit family. In another city. Thank you, George Burns, for that one. But I think for many of us, we get that. We understand the truth behind what George was saying there. My brother Jim was 17. I was nine. He had never done anything truly remarkable for me. He was always mean to me. So that day, on top of a rug in my mom and dad's front hall, with flames leaping three feet off of my body, begging and screaming and praying for a hero, when I saw Jim racing toward me, my next thought was, Oh, God, uh, anybody else, not this dude, man, not this kid, not this brother, not this sibling, but my friends, this was his day. This was his day. And I hope when you hear those words, you realize I'm not just talking about Jim. I'm talking about you. This is your day. This is the day to change, to become a better version of yourself, to begin living inspired Jim began truly living inspired, no longer accidental living. 
He stepped forward. He picked up a rug. He ran over to me. The flames were leaping three feet off of my body in all directions. And this boy swang that little rug down into the flames. It took him three minutes. He burned himself in the process. He wrapped me up in that rug, carried me outside, threw me on the grass, jumped on top of me, rolled around for a while on top of me in the wet snow. He then runs back into a burning house. He yells for my other sisters who are still home to come outside. Jim calls 911. And in doing all of this on that day, January 17th, 1987, Jim O'Leary became my hero. Not only that day, 30 plus years ago, but even today, he, he remains my hero. And it's not just for me. Uh, 1987, the lifesaver of the year for the state of Missouri was not some Marine or fire chief or EMS, uh, some phenomenal leader or nurse, whatever it may have been, the, the typical job description. 1987, lifesaver of the year for the state of Missouri was a 17-year-old junior in high school. His name was Jim O'Leary. He was the oldest of six, and he was completely ill-equipped for what was about to greet him that morning. And yet he was activated, not from a place of fear, but from a place of great love, from a place of service, from a place of fighting and working and swinging for something bigger than himself that day. And he was not alone. He was not alone. Had Jim done what he did without others showing up, I'm not sure I'm with you on this podcast today. But there were two great other heroes with him in the front yard that day. You know, a 17-year-old can't do it by himself, of course. He had two wise leaders who showed up to support his efforts. The first one, you ready for him? I want you to imagine a big, tough firefighter. Okay, no, 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 please. Put his shirt back on, guys and ladies. No, it's not that kind of firefighter. This firefighter is an 11-year-old. This firefighter slept upstairs. This firefighter has the name Amy, the last name O'Leary. She's aged 11. She's my sister. That's the hero that's about to show up in this story next. This little girl is sleeping on the morning that her, little, that her younger brother is burned. The explosion wakes her up. The screams get her out of bed. She comes to the top of the steps. She looks down and she sees me aflame in her front, y'all, in her front hall, screaming, panicking, looking for a hero. And Amy just greets me with screams back because she doesn't know yet what to do. Eventually, Jim saves my life, carries me outside. Amy is chased up by the smoke. She sees me now in the front yard, upright, but still saddened, still broken. Uh, it's cold outside, and I'm out there in the snow, barefoot, with no clothes on. It's a very scary situation. And rather than running from it, which is the way I would have gone, there's my courage in a nutshell, this 11-year-old runs directly toward it. And on some other podcasts, we'll unpack even what that means when you run right toward your fear. She runs right toward her fear. She pulls me close. She holds me tight. And then she says these words to me, John, everything's okay. Everything's okay. Have faith and fight. The best is yet to come. This coming from an 11-year-old who is holding me. She tells my dad that day in the emergency room later on, several hours later, dad, John felt so hot to me that I was sure I was burning my arms through the nightgown. But then she offered, but dad, I never let go. I never let go. And that is how I remember it too. This little girl never let go. Instead, she held me tight, looks at me with that love. 
to which I look down, I see my legs and torso and hands and arms and stomach all burnt up. It's a very scary sight. I then looked up at the house that we had both just come from. It's my mom and dad's house. It's the one that I was born in. I'd lived in for nine years of my life. It was a, a, a sanctuary of safety. I loved my home. And now there are flames leaping from the roof line. So I look back at Amy, completely discouraged by the events of that day and where I think things are going next. And I remember saying to her, remember, I'm only nine, but I remember saying to her, Amy, it's not okay. Look at me and look at the house. It's not okay. I need you to do me a favor. Run back in the house. I don't care if it's on fire. I want you to go into the kitchen. I want you to get me a knife. Come back out here. And Amy, I want you to kill me. It's not okay. Not this time. And my friends, the reason I seldom share this story, besides the fact that there's so much to unpack within it, is once we go there, we got to spend a lot of time unpacking this sense of isolation, of depression, of not confident at all that there's a next step for us to take. What I'm telling you right now, if you're feeling that way in your own walk, there is a next step for you to take. We've had some incredible podcasts where the focus was specifically on awareness around depression, on anxiety, on suicidal tendencies, and on the reality that you are not on your own. So what I encourage you to do right now is if if you feel that way, if you are discouraged, if you are at the end of your rope and you're not sure there's a next step for you, you can reach out to our community. We will introduce you to your next step. You can certainly reach out to suicide hotlines around your community, around our country, and around the world. But I, I ask you right now to recognize you're not on your own. You're not on your own. Um, I'm honored to be part of your family now. And there's a whole community that are here to support you too. So you're not on your own. But my sister Amy that day was going to remind me too that I'm not on my own. She pulls me close. She holds me tight. She looks into her, her eyes and she shares a quote with me that if you want you are welcome to share with me sometime during this podcast or when we meet live at some speaking event around the country or around the world. Here's what Amy says to me. John, shut up. What is wrong with you? What is wrong with you, man? Enough. Have faith and fight. The best is yet to come. This advice coming not from a counselor or a coach or a rabbi or a parent or a chaplain or a a professional speaker. No, it's coming from an 11-year-old girl who is holding on to a little boy who isn't even sure he still wants to stick around in this game any longer. And that, that love snapped me awake. But overhearing the conversation, this life and death, true conversation in the front yard that day was our other sister. This one named Susan, this one with dark hair, This one was the one that I was always mean to because plumbing in families work a lot like plumbing in our household and in our business. It takes the stuff downstream. So all the struggles that you face from your older siblings, you then lovingly pass onto your younger ones. I had two younger siblings that I I passed the plumbing toward. This one is Susan. She is seven. She's as cute as they come, as cute as a little bud and with her black short hair. And yet, I'm not sure she ever really loved me because all the mean stuff my brother Jim was saying and doing to me, I was also saying and doing to her, this is how families work. And so I don't need to ask her twice. She has been given the green light to go back into the burning house. She goes in, it's a remarkable story. She goes and does the last thing in the world you are taught to do. And I don't encourage any of you ever to go back into a burning house. She does. She gets on her hands and knees. She crawls through the smoke, the heat, the fear into the kitchen. 
She then grabs whatever she came in there for, opens up that drawer, comes back outside. I'll always remember where I stood in the front yard um, naked and scared, watching my home burn, watching the smoke come through the doorways. As this seven-year-old little girl comes back outside with tears coming down her cheeks, she stands then about two, maybe three feet away from me. She's paused and she's panting. And then Live Inspire Community, she takes action. She throws a cup of water on my face. I want out. And I promise you, we've had a million downloads. I promise you, many of us listening right now have felt that way on their own journey. They have wanted out. I want out. And this little girl has just gone back into a burning house, not for a knife, but for water. She had learned as a young little girl, when something is hot and you burn yourself on the pan, you put it under water and immediately it goes away. Her mother taught her that one. She just went in and risked her life for me. And after she throws that first cup of water in my face, what do you think she does next? Yell, yell it out right now. Go out and yell it out. Of course. She goes back in. She goes back in. Risks her life a second time. Goes into a burning house. A scary, scary situation for what she considers a cause even greater than her own. And after she throws that first cup safely in my face, she goes back in a third time. We think it's a miracle story that this beautiful, brilliant, bright, awesome little sister of mine who remains brilliant, bright, and beautiful even today with her four babies, that she was able to go back into that house three times for three cups of water, each time returning safely, throwing these cups of water directly into my face. My friends, those of you who have met me, you realize that I have been burned on my entire body. 100% was was, uh, burned in total, but 87% was third degree. The part that remained unburned is my face, is my scalp, and is just a few other little parts and patches around my body. But the, the doctors credit Susan with cooling the skin temperature enough to not only save my face, which smiles at you when we meet live, which I'm grateful for, but also my scalp, which is where they took 13 layers of skin to save my life, part of the donation system. Susan risked her life and in doing so saved mine. I'm not asking you to go into a burning house for someone else today, but when we put someone else's life as being even more important in some regards than our life, when we lay down our ability to judge and hold over the fact that she said something rude to me last Christmas, four years ago, and when we keep bringing that up, it is a way of not only cheapening their life, but I think it cheapens our life too. That day, January 17th, 1987, those three little siblings of mine showed up and supported me in a mighty way. My younger sister, Laura was her name and is her name. She offered up her parents in many regards as a two-year-old to be with me for the next five months in hospital. My sister, Katie, was the one who in many regards mothered these kids for those five months and then for the couple years of therapy and surgery that their little brother, John, required afterwards. The point is this, everyone in our little family system stepped forward and lived into a cause bigger than themselves. There is a great quote that I love. I quote it frequently. It's originally attributed to to Nietzsche, but I think it's best attributed to Viktor Frankl who survived the Holocaust. Frankl wrote, when you know your why, you can endure anyhow. When you, the day that everything is on fire, 
the day that we become bored by life, the day that we think we can't do it anymore, the day that we decide, you know what, I'm there, it's just family. I'm gonna be like half of the rest of the world and not have a relationship with my adult sibling. Half of the rest of the world have no relationships with their adult siblings. When we realize, yeah, no longer. Well, maybe one of the quotes that we can grab on to allow us to do the next best thing is this. When you know your why, you can endure anyhow. You can endure anyhow. So how do we, as a family of six, uh, with all the, the marriages that we have going on and all the, the complexity that goes on with now additional families being part of this, with 19 or 20 grandbabies who are now part of my mom and dad's story, with health challenges with, with my dad, Parkinson's disease with 25 years, all the challenges that come with that. How do we stay together as one family going forward? And more importantly, how do you do it? How do you do it? So I wanna, I wanna give you three simple takeaways that we try to incorporate as a family unit that maybe today, as you journey onward into your own families, into your own offices, into your own places of work and worship and life, that if you choose, you can grab onto one. Number one is this. We, can commun- we, we communicate frequently. I think indifference leads to death. And if we stop texting, if we stop tweeting, if we stop calling, if we stop meeting, if we stop coming together two to four times a year as a family, we stop slowly enjoying that binds, that the love binds that pulls us together. So we intentionally choose to communicate frequently as a family. We're busy like everybody else but never too busy to call on the birthday, to send letters, to visit when we're out of town in the communities where everybody else lives, to come together two or three times a year around our mom and dad with all the siblings around them, with all our spouses around them, with all the little ones around us. Come together as one. We communicate frequently. Indifference leads to death. In caring, I think it allows us to continue that, that, that love, that walk forward as one family, number one. Secondly, because if you do number one, you will be required to do number two. The secondly is this. We forgive promptly. I don't know how many of you have siblings. I don't know how many of you are in relationships. How many of you had mothers or fathers or guardians, rabbis, pastors, or children yourself? Maybe Maybe some of you were raised by wolves and you still live among the wolves. For those of you who live out there in the wilderness by yourself, this will not apply for the rest of us, if you've ever been in a relationship at all with anybody, including a coworker, you will need number two, forgive promptly. We too make mistakes in our life. We too make mistakes all the time. We frequently let ourselves off. My ask of you is this, don't be bullied by your siblings. Don't be bullied by someone in your community. Don't be bullied by somebody else. But when you choose love first, it allows you to not be weighed down by a little slight. They they came casual to a party that you said was formal. They didn't bring chicken salad when they said they were going to bring chicken salad. You've hosted the last two holidays and they haven't hosted in three years. No, forgive frequently. It's a huge deal in our family. We need it because we say and do dumb things all the time. And I bet we're not alone on that one. So I encourage you today, forgive frequently. Just just. Practice forgiveness. It's going to change not only the way you feel about them, but ultimately the the way they feel about you and the way they feel about themselves. It's a, it's a gift you are giving yourself and them. And then thirdly, and finally, as we wrap up this emotional podcast on love, on family, on life, on living inspired, 
Number three, this one's worth remembering and maybe writing down. We recognize that their success is not our failure. This is huge. I went 23 years without dating anybody, okay? And uh, I saw a whole lot of my siblings get married. I saw all five of my siblings have wonderful relationships in high school. They went to a lot of dances. They had wonderful boyfriends and girlfriends. They, they had great lives. And at age 23, I'd never dated any, anybody. And yet their boyfriends, their girlfriends, their wives, their husbands, then their children. That's not my failure. I was delighted for their success. My, my sisters have gone on to do great things professionally. My brother has as well. He's got his own law practice here in St. Louis. They've done some really remarkable things also in the community. And every step of the way, I have recognized that their successes, what they are doing, their bank account, the, their followers, the things that they have going on in the community, in their love life, in their families, that is awesome. I delight in their successes. So their success is not my failure. Where did I learn this? Great question. I learned it from them, okay? My siblings taught me this one. When you're nine and you get burned on 100% of your body and you are expected to die, and then you live through that first night and then the second night and then five months in hospital and now celebrities are coming around you and people in the community are writing letters and it's going viral. And Ronald Reagan is writing a letter saying he and Nancy are praying for it. And Pope John Paul II is saying, hey, I got behind this. And people are planting trees in Israel. And the limelight is always focused on John, not only as a boy, but then as a young man. And now as a speaker and as a writer and as a guy who's got a gorgeous wife and four healthy kids and a wonderful life. I have learned day after day after day for the last 31 years that my success, and I'm grateful to have received a lot of it. I'm super blessed today. I have health and I have happiness and I have great joy and I have a strong faith that my success is not my siblings' failures. They delight in what I have been able to do in my life. They cheer me on. They are first in line to say, John, well done, well done. We are cheering for you. My friends, to have a bench of siblings who cheer for you to do well and to be the kind of cheerleader in life who is pulling and supporting and communicating and networking and forgiving those around you to do well in their own life, it will not only bend uh, others toward your way of life, of your way of heart, your way of love. It's going to remind them in their own life that the best of their days, whew, take a deep breath, the best of their days remain in front of them, that they too can, like you, wake up from accidental living and choose to live inspired. Happiness, George Burns says, is having a large, loving, caring, close-knit family. Yeah, maybe in another city. But waking up to the reality of that, of that joy, of that life each day in the city where you reside, don't hop on a flight to get it. Uh, look at the little radio that you're staring at right now as part of this podcast and realize it is here for you now, whether you have siblings or not. Embrace the gift of love, forgiveness, resiliency, and recognizing that other people's success is not your failure today. It's going to change your life. Don't wait till tomorrow, start now. Well, my friends, as I sat around my mom and dad's 50th wedding celebration, as I looked around at the way they felt about one another, uh, the way they felt about their adult siblings, at the way they felt about their six kids and the, the, those who have married into our family and all the grandbabies sitting around the table and the friends who've came come alongside of us, 
it was a message that I wanted to share with you today. We love bringing on guests who talk about their life and how they live inspired and what it means for us. But today, 50 years into my mom and dad's marriage, I wanted to share a real intimate look at our own family, at what we've been through, at what we've learned, and what it might mean for you. I hope this inspires you to pick up the phone today to maybe write a forgiveness letter or to recognize, if nothing else, that the best of your journey remains in front of you. My friends, if you want to continue this Live Inspired movement, hey, awesome. What I encourage you to do right now is to like the podcast, to rate the show, to share your comments, and to remind others wherever you work, wherever you work, worship, wherever you do life, about the Live Inspired podcast with John O'Leary. We have terrific guests on to inspire us to live into our best lives possible. Share it. Let's make sure that the ripple effect of this good news goes onward and outward from here. More than, uh, what, 850,000 downloads already and counting. Very exciting stuff. Thank you for being part of our movement, and thank you for knowing that the best of your days remain in front of you. So for this time, and until next time, this is John O'Leary. Today is your day. Live inspired. My friends, I want to take a quick moment to give you a special invitation. If you enjoy the Live Inspired podcast, what would you say to joining me live once a month? And not just joining me, but hundreds of other like-minded Live Inspired community members. And what if you could do it from the comfort of your own home? My friends, Live Inspired in studio with John O'Leary is exactly this, a gathering of our Live Inspired community members once a month for a live inspirational webcast. Let's do life together. Registration for in-studio only happens twice a year. And here's a secret, it's opening soon. Don't miss it. Sign up right now. Be one of the very first to know when Live Inspired in-studio registration opens. You can go right now, check it out. It's at johnolearyinspires.com forward slash studio. One more time, it's johnolearyinspires.com forward slash studio studio.